War and Peace, Book Three, Chapter Six, read for LibriVox.org by Mark O'Neill. It was long since the Rostovs had news of Nicholas. Not till midwinter was the count at last handed a letter, addressed in his son's handwriting. On receiving it, he ran on tiptoe to his study in alarm and haste, trying to escape notice, closed the door, and began to read the letter. Anna Mikhailovna who always knew everything that passed in the house, on hearing of the arrival of the letter, went softly into the room, and found the Count with it in his hand, sobbing and laughing at the same time. Anna Mikhailovna, though her circumstances had improved, was still living with the Rostovs. "'My dear friend,' said she, in a tone of pathetic inquiry, prepared to sympathise in any way. The Count sobbed yet more, Nikolenka, a letter, was wounded, my darling boy, the countess, promoted to be an officer, thank God, how tell the little countess? Anna Mikhailovna sat down beside him, with her own handkerchief, wiped the tears from his eyes, and from the letter, then having dried her own eyes, she comforted the count, and decided that at dinner, and until tea-time she would prepare the countess, and after tea, with God's help, would inform her. At dinner Anna Mikhailovna talked the whole time about the war news, and about Nikolenka, twice asked when the last letter had been received from him, although she knew that already, and remarked that they might very likely be getting a letter from him that very day. Each time that these hints began to make the countess anxious, and she glanced uneasily at the Count and at Anna Mikhailovna. The latter very adroitly turned the conversation to insignificant matters. Natasha, who of the whole family was the most gifted, with a capacity to feel any shades of intonation, look and expression, pricked up her ears from the beginning of the meal, and was certain that there was some secret between her father and Anna Mikhailovna, that it had something to do with her brother, and that Anna Mikhailovna was preparing them for it. Bold as she was, Natasha, who knew how sensitive her mother was to anything relating to Nikolenka, did not venture to ask any questions at dinner, but she was too excited to eat anything, and kept wriggling about on her chair regardless of her governess's remarks. After dinner, she rushed headlong after Anna Mikhailovna, and, dashing at her, flung herself on her neck, as soon as she overtook her in the sitting-room. "'Auntie, darling, do tell me what it is.' "'Nothing, my dear.' "'No, dearest, sweet one, honey, I won't give up. I know you know something.' Anna Mikhailovna shook her head. "'You're a little sly-boot,' she said. "'A letter from Nikolenka, I'm sure of it,' exclaimed Natasha, reading confirmation in Anna Mikhailovna's face. "'But for God's sake, be careful. "'You know how it may affect your mamma. "'I will, I will. "'Only tell me. "'You won't? "'Then I will go and tell at once.' "'Anna Mikhailovna, in a few words, "'told her the contents of the letter, "'on condition she should tell no one. "'No, on my true word of honour, said Natasha, crossing herself, "'I won't tell anyone.' "'And she ran off at once to Sonia. "'Nikolenka, wounded!' A letter, she announced in gleeful triumph. 
Nicholas was all Sonia said, instantly turning white. Natasha, seeing the impression her brother's wound produced on Sonia, felt for the first time the sorrowful side of the news. She rushed to Sonia, hugged her and began to cry. A little wound, but he has been made an officer. He is well now, he wrote himself, said she through her tears. There now, it's true that all you women are crybabies, remarked Petya, pacing the room with large, resolute strides. Now I'm very glad, very glad indeed, that my brother has distinguished himself so. You're all blubberers and understand nothing. Natasha smiled through her tears. You haven't read the letter? asked Sonia. No, but she said it was all over and that he's now an officer. Thank God, said Sonia, crossing herself. But perhaps she deceived you. Let us go to Mama. Petya paced the room in silence for a time. If I had been in Nikolenka's place, I would have killed even more of those Frenchmen, he said. What nasty brutes they are. I'd have killed so many that there'd been a heap of them. Hold your tongue, Petra. What a goose you are. I'm not a goose, but they are who cry about trifles, said Petya. Do you remember him? Natasha suddenly asked after a moment's silence. Sonia smiled. Do I remember Nicholas? No, Sonia, but do you remember so that you remember him perfectly? Remember everything, said Natasha, with an expressive gesture evidently wishing to give her words a very definite meaning. I remember Nikolenka too. I remember him well, she said. But I don't remember Boris. I don't remember him a bit. What, you don't remember Boris? asked Sonia in surprise. It's not that I don't remember. I know what he is like, but not as I remember Nikolenka. Him, I just shut my eyes and remember. But Boris, no. She shut her eyes. No, there's nothing at all. Oh, Natasha, said Sonia, looking ecstatically and earnestly at her friend, as if she did not consider her worthy to hear what she meant to say, and as if she was saying it to someone else, with whom joking was out of the question. I am in love with your brother once and for all, and whatever may happen to him or to me shall never cease to love him as long as I live. Natasha looked at Sonia with wondering and inquisitive eyes and said nothing. She felt that Sonia was speaking the truth, that there was such love as Sonia was speaking of, but Natasha had not yet felt anything like it. She believed it could be, but did not understand it. Shall you write to him? she asked. Sonia became thoughtful. The question of how to write to Nicholas and whether she ought to write tormented her. Now that he was already an officer and a wounded hero, would it be right to remind him of herself, and, as it might seem, of the obligations to her he had taken on himself? I don't know. I think if he writes, I will write too, she said, blushing. And you won't feel ashamed to write to him? Sonia smiled. No. And I should be ashamed to write to Boris. I'm not going to. Why should you be ashamed? Well, I don't know. It's awkward and would make me ashamed. And I know why she'd be ashamed, said Petya, offended by Natasha's previous remark. It's because she was in love with that fat one in spectacles. That was how Petya described his namesake, the new Count Bezukov. And now she's in love with that singer. He met Natasha's Italian singing master, 
that's why she's ashamed. Petya, you're stupid, said Natasha. Not more stupid than you, madame, said the nine-year-old Petya, with the air of an old brigadier. The countess had been prepared by Anna Mikhailovna's hints at dinner. On retiring to her own room, she sat in an armchair, her eyes fixed on a miniature portrait of her son on the lid of a snuff-box, while the tears kept coming into her eyes. Anna Mikhailovna, with the letter, came on tiptoe to the countess's door and paused. Don't come in, she said to the old count who was following her. Come later. And she went in, closing the door behind her. The count put his ear to the keyhole and listened. At first he heard the sound of indifferent voices. Then Anna Mikhailovna's voice alone in a long speech. Then a cry. Then silence. Then both voices together with glad intonations. And then footsteps. Anna Mikhailovna opened the door. Her face wore the proud expression of a surgeon who had just performed a difficult operation and admits the public to appreciate his skill. It is done, she said to the Count, pointing triumphantly to the Countess, who sat holding in one hand the snuff-box with its portrait and in the other the letter, and pressing them alternately to her lips. When she saw the Count, she stretched out her arms to him, embraced his bald head, over which she again looked at the letter and the portrait, and in order to press them again to her lips, she slightly pushed away the bald head. Vera, Natasha, Sonia and Petya now entered the room, and the reading of the letter began. After a brief description of the campaign and the two battles in which he had taken part, and his promotion, Nicholas said that he kissed his father and mother's hands asking for their blessing, and that he kissed Vera, Natasha and Petya. Besides that, he sent greetings to Monsieur Schelling, Madame Schloss and his old nurse, and asked them to kiss for him, dear Sonia, whom he loved and thought of just the same as ever. When she heard this, Sonia blushed so that tears came into her eyes, and, unable to bear the looks turned upon her, ran away into the dancing hall whirled round it at full speed with her dress puffed out like a balloon, and, flushed and smiling, plumped down on the floor. The Countess was crying. "'Why are you crying, Mamma? asked Vera. "'From all he says, one should be glad and not cry.' This was quite true, but the Count, the Countess, and Natasha looked at her reproachfully. "'And who is it she takes after?' thought the Countess." Nicholas's letter was read over hundreds of times, and those who were considered worthy to hear it had come to the Countess, for she did not let it out of her hands. The tutors came, and the nurses, and Dmitri, and several acquaintances, and the Countess re-read the letter each time, with fresh pleasure, and each time discovered in it fresh proofs of Nikolenka's virtues. How strange, how extraordinary, how joyful it seemed, that her son, the scarcely perceptible motion of whose tiny limbs she had felt twenty years ago within her, that son about whom she used to have quarrels with the too indulgent Count, that son who had first learned to say pear and then granny, that this son should now be away in a foreign land amid strange surroundings, a manly warrior doing some kind of man's work of his own, 
without help or guidance. The universal experience of ages, showing that children do grow imperceptibly from the cradle to manhood, did not exist for the Countess. Her son's growth towards manhood, at each of its stages, has seemed as extraordinary to her, as if there had never existed the millions of human beings who grew up in the same way. As twenty years before, it seemed impossible that the little creature who lived somewhere under her heart would ever cry, suck her breast and begin to speak, so that now she could not believe that that little creature could be this strong, brave man, this model son and officer, that, judging by this letter, he now was. What a style! How charmingly he describes, said she, reading the descriptive part of the letter. And what a soul! Not a word about himself, not a word, about some Denisov or other, though he himself, I dare say, is braver than any of them. He says nothing about his sufferings. What a heart! How like him it is! And how he has remembered everybody! Not forgetting anyone! I always said, when he was only so high, I always said. For more than a week preparations were being made. Rough drafts of letters to Nicholas from all the household were written and copied out while under the supervision of the Countess and the solicitude of the Count. Money and all things necessary for the uniform and equipment of the newly commissioned officer were collected. Anna Mikhailovna, practical woman that she was, had even managed by favour with army authorities to secure advantageous means of communication for herself and her son. She had opportunities of sending her letters to the Grand Duke Konstantin Pavlovich, who commanded the guards. The Rostovs supposed that the Russian guards abroad was quite a definite address, and that if a letter reached the Grand Duke in command of the guards, there was no reason why it should not reach the Pavlovgrad regiment, which was presumably somewhere in the same neighbourhood. And so it was decided to send the letters and money by the Grand Duke's courier to Boris, and Boris was to forward them to Nicholas. The letters were from the old Count, the Countess, Petya, Vera, Natasha and Sonia, and finally there were 6,000 roubles for his outfit and various other things the old Count sent to his son. End of chapter 6 Recording by Mark O'Neill, Würzburg, Germany